Your Creativity, episode 44. And also, you know, if it's easy and fun for you, it's like that's the universe's way of telling you, Psst, keep keep doing this. Come, come, come on, come this way. Keep doing this. You're listening to the Own Your Creativity podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Johnston. I'm an author, professor, and podcaster, and I help people tell their story. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. I'm really excited because today I'm talking to Melissa Dinwiddie. She is an artist, speaker, performer, and the author of The Creative Sandbox Way, Your Path to a Full-Colored Life. And that actually just came out yesterday, didn't it? It did. That's awesome. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. So to continue, though, Melissa is on a mission to help creatives take the fear out of their creativity and bring back the joy and to help non-creatives reclaim their innate entitlement to creative play and unleash their inner artists. You can learn more about Melissa at melissadinwitty.com, where you'll also find her podcast, uh, Live Creative Now. And uh, so welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you help people uh, reclaim that creativity? Absolutely. I work um, with groups and individuals, mostly with groups nowadays, to really help them, as you said, reclaim their innate entitlement to creative play. We're born you know, we emerge from the womb as creative creatures. We are born curious and wanting to explore and to follow our curiosity. And that is wired into us. But as we go through school, as we learn to become adults, we learn that there are right ways and wrong ways to do things. And we learn to try and do things right and to try and do things well. And that idea of making messes and following our curiosity and playing, that kind of gets quashed out of us. We never actually lose it, but we lose touch with it. Yeah, yeah. And that is such a tragedy because we need to be able to play and to be able to let loose and make messes in order to tap into our genius zone in order to be able to find, you know, the answers to, you know, the world's biggest problems and, you know, the smallest problems that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis and also to tap into our joy. If we're just trudging along, following rules you can't tap into joy. We can't live life in really full blazing color if we're just trudging along, following, you know, just following rules. So I'm really all about helping people reclaim that inner four-year-old that we all have inside of us. You know, I think that the work you do is so awesome because people really have a hard time reclaiming their creativity in this world that we live in. They, I think a lot of people feel that it isn't a good use of their time to, you know, spend, you know, playing and, uh, you know, that they're always concerned about the bottom line or press for, for time. And I think that you deal with a lot of those myths, you know? Um, yeah. So you can talk a little bit about that. 
oh my gosh, yes, well, that was me <laughs> for much of my life. In fact, as a, as a teenager and a preteen, I was such a serious person. I really felt like, you know, life is serious business. And the class clowns and the people who were, you know, <laughs> were finding, you know, silliness in life, I thought, come on, you know, life is serious. How can you, how can you be seeing things so funny and come on, you got, you got to be focused on the serious of life. But the problem with that is that, you know, we have a choice in how we approach life. It really is a choice and we can choose to approach life in black, white, and gray, or we can achieve, we can choose to approach life in color and it's really up to us. Yeah. And I decided a number of years ago that I wanted to approach life in color. And a huge part of that was making the decision to let go of perfectionism, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to, uh, to take on intentional imperfectionism. Wow. And to <laughs> allow myself to play, to allow myself to give myself permission to be imperfect. And for me, as like a baked, baked in hardcore perfectionist, this was really hard. And it's still a challenge for me. But I got to tell you for anybody out there who's going, Oh, my God, you've got to be kidding. There's no way there's no way I could possibly do that. It gets easier. And it life is better on this side of the fence. And it is an ongoing practice. But if you practice forgiving yourself for being human in an ongoing way, life gets better. And the practice of imperfectionism, of forgiving yourself for being human, is exactly the same practice as self-compassion. Okay. There's no difference. It's acknowledging that you're human, acknowledging that whatever thing you're frustrated with, you're annoyed with yourself, you, you want to beat yourself up about, other people on the planet have experienced that before. You're mm -hmm. not the first person to deal with that. It's part of the human condition. Acknowledging that, forgiving yourself for that, and, and making the decision to treat yourself kindly, to treat yourself the way that you would treat a beloved child or a beloved friend rather than the way that we tend to treat ourselves, which is how we would never treat our worst enemy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I sense in the description that you are giving about what you do is that this was really hard one for you. And so yes. what, what was the, the thing that happened in your life that where you were really disconnected with your, from your creativity? What can you tell us the story around where you were when you weren't here? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Where so there's so many stories, but where where I go to when I think of that period in my life is they were really about 15 years when I was a self-defined non-creative person. I completely gave up art at age 13. Wow. And that was and and I was a really artistic kid. I was one of those kids who my parents thought I was going to grow up to be an artist. And I, you know, I loved art. I loved dancing and music and, you know, everything. I was into all of it. And as all kids do, we start becoming very aware of other kids around us 
around first grade, we start to be really start to become aware and we start to compare. That's very normal. But the comparison starts to become judgment. And if if we don't have adults around us to help help us navigate that, then that judgment becomes the comparison trap. Mm. And then we start looking at other people's creativity, other people's work, and judging ourselves negatively against what other people are creating. And I got so stuck in that trap. So by the time I was 13, I looked at other people's art, and I was not somebody who was um, naturally a photographically realistic drafts person. You know, I was okay at drawing, but I wasn't, you know, there were kids who were so much better than I was. So from that, I drew the conclusion, I leaped to the conclusion that I wasn't, that they were the artist and I was not. Mm. That I wasn't entitled to be an artist because they were better than I was. And then I did the same thing with music. I did the same thing with every other art form out there. Other people were better, I'm doing air quotes, than (laughs) I was in my head, right? So therefore, I didn't have permission. I wasn't entitled. Because we have, there's this prevalent notion out there that the arts are reserved for the elite few. Only they get to have it. And the rest of us don't. And that's hogwash. The arts, creative expression, is available to everybody. It's our birthright. Creative expression is our birthright. It's available to each and every one of us. We are entitled to creative expression and creative play, but we forget that. It is it is sort of tamped down in us through school, you know, where we learn to please a single authority figure. We don't learn to be creative. So what was that time in your life where you were at your, you know, the rope's end, your wit's end, and, and you realized you had to make a change? What what was going on in your life when you realized you had to get back to that creativity? Yeah, the most recent one, interestingly enough, was, so most recently, it was um, 2010. And I had actually been making my living as an artist, but I hadn't been doing any art for me. It was all for clients, all to please other people, completely stopped making art for, I, I, I had quit art at at 13, um, didn't make any art for 15 years, came back to it at 28 and very quickly started making art for other people on Mm. commission. Mm hmm. And then I had to make money, I had to make a living. So I stopped making art for the joy of it. And everything was, oh, my God, I have to make money for this. I have to make money after everything. Everything I do has to make money. And so I completely stopped making art for joy. And all the joy went out of it. Art became just a job. Mm -hmm. Cut to 2010. Meanwhile, the economy has tanked. Mm -hmm. My business has tanked along with it. It It had grown steadily. And I was I was making a an actual living in Silicon Valley, surprisingly, as an artist. And I was in a panic because the economy had tanked, my business had tanked. I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from. And the moment this is this is like the most uh, embarrassing, humiliating story. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how I was going to pay my mortgage. 
And I was, I had gotten myself deeply in debt by throwing a bunch of money at this problem. I had no idea how to revive my flagging business because I really didn't know how to run a business. I had mm. just like built up this business um, organically, didn't mm. really know what I was doing. And I had a, several potential clients who were, who had been in correspondence, correspondence with me, but none of them had actually given me their credit card information. And I was desperate and in a panic. And I was finally on the phone with a bride. I was primarily selling ketubot. A, a ketubah is a Jewish marriage contract. Okay. And it's a traditional part of it, every Jewish wedding ceremony. And so I was had been in car- correspondence with this couple who were planning on ordering a ketubah for their wedding and also a Quaker wedding certificate because they were having a combined ceremony and matching invitations. So it was going to be more than enough to pay my mortgage, but they had they weren't quite ready to buy yet. And my mortgage was due like in five days or something. Oh my goodness. I was in such a panic. So I was on the phone. The bride had said she was ready to buy and ready to place the order. And we're chatting and she said, oh, you know, I just want to talk to my fiance one more time. And I was in an utter panic and I had been doing all this research online and I remembered that all these online marketing gurus said that you have to create a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, what can I do to create a sense of urgency? (laughs) Get her to hand her credit card over, over right now. And so I did something that was in such misalignment with my values and with the relationship that I had developed with this client. And I said, oh, sure, absolutely. You can, of course, you can talk to your fiance again. But if you, you know, place the order right now, I'll be happy to throw in, you know, extra bonus something shipping upgrades. I don't even remember what the bonus was. You know, I'll throw in a set of Ginsu knives. That's kind of <laughs> kind of what it the you know the equivalent of it. It wasn't that bad, but it, but that's kind of what it what it felt like to her. It was so out of you know cognitive dissonance, right? And so, not surprisingly, you know, she got off the phone very quickly. She sent me an email later that night and said she felt really uncomfortable with our conversation, and she they decided to go elsewhere. Oh no! And I just lost it. And I mean, I was in hysterics. I hit it was like a rock bottom moment. And that was the moment that made that like the blinders stripped off. And I realized, you know what, I don't have to just be a ketubah artist for the rest of my life. I can choose. Mm. I can live the life I really want. I can live I didn't have the vocabulary at that time. But I can live a full color life and I can determine what that life is. I don't have to be stuck in this life where I'm not creating. I'm only creating for clients. I can make a life where I am living creatively, where I am living the creative life that I really want. And that is the moment that sent me on the journey that I have been on ever since. Wow. And so how long did it take you from that moment until you were back on your feet and your business was thriving again? Well, I will answer that question. But first, I'm going to answer a slightly different question. The at that moment, I knew that I wanted to live in, in the words I used at the time was I wanted to live the life I really, really wanted. 
Mm-hmm. I would call it now a full color life. And I didn't know what that life really looked like at that point. So first I had to figure out what that life looked like. Right. And I started my blog within weeks, a couple of weeks, I started my blog, Living a Creative Life, to chart that journey and hope in the hopes that it would help somebody else as well. And the first thing that I that I set out to do was to figure out, you know, what are the pillars of that life? And and what I figured out is that first of all, I need to be I need to be expressing myself creatively. That's pillar number one. And I need to be making a difference for other people. That's pillar number two. And I need to be connected with the people that are important to me. I need my my friends and my my family, my loved ones and my community. That's pillar number three. So th- I figured those things out. Within four months of processing and feeling very lost and flailing, <laughs> quite honestly, I wrote a blog post where I realized that although, you know, I didn't have a business that was bringing in the kind of money that I wanted, I wasn't in, you know, I wasn't, I, did, I, I hadn't achieved all kinds of goals that I had set for myself or anything like that. I was living the life I really, really wanted because living a full color life does not mean, yes, I've achieved this goal. It means walking the path. Mm-hmm. And I was walking the path. And I have been walking that path ever since. Because here's the thing. Once you achieve X goal, you're already on to the next goal. Right. Because living living a full color life doesn't mean achieving a goal. It means walking that path. So it once it once you make the decision and take that first step, you're already walking the path. Right. And I think that what you're saying now is reflected in the creative sandbox way your book that came out yesterday and i i i love the playfulness in in this book and um and the table of contents which is this winding path i i just think that's so fun um can you talk a little bit about um how you created this book and how it fits in with your vision of living a full color life yeah absolutely so the creative sandbox way came about in this this winding pathway of its own. Speaking of, you know, this discovery, this moment of realizing, you know, the the moment of of non-creativity to creativity, I I realized in um it was in that 2010-2011 time period when I was I wasn't I wasn't creating. I wasn't making art. I wasn't doing the, you know, living as creatively as I wanted to, and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't making my art. I mm. I got back to making art for a while and it was feeling really good. And I was avoiding my art table again and I didn't understand why. And I had been making this this art that I was enjoying, but then I wasn't doing it. And I ha- one day I walked into my studio and I looked at my art table and it hit me that the art that I was making, which was this very meticulous designy work where I would draw 50 identical brush strokes and scan them into photo, you know, pick the best one, scan it into Photoshop, draw 50 identical different brush strokes, pick the best one, scan it into Photoshop, combine it with the first brush stroke to create these 
uh, female figures and then combine those with calligraphy. It was very meticulous and designy. And it was exactly like the kind of work that I was making for clients. Oh. And it was nothing like play. And I had this, it was like this light bulb moment where I was like, bing, oh my God, I need to play. I need to let loose and make messes just like a little four-year-old kid in a sandbox. That's what I need to be doing. And this metaphor of a creative sandbox just like popped into my head. And so I knew being this, you know, hardcore perfectionist, I knew that I needed to set some guidelines for myself, some rules, quote unquote, in order to let go of the perfectionism so that I could be in that four-year-old creative sandbox mind space in order to play. So I quickly kind of came up with these, a handful, maybe four guidelines for myself. Like, um, there is no wrong. And think process, not product. And um, think quantity, not quality. And, you know, when you get to that place, when you know it's not done, you know it needs something, but you're afraid that you're going to ruin it if you add something to it, go ahead and ruin it. Mm Mm-hmm. That which ended up being take the riskier path, guidepost number seven. Yeah. So, you know, those it just started out as like four little quote unquote rules that got me to start creating. Uh, and one of them was was tiny, think tiny and daily to just do a little something every day. Yeah. Which keeps my toe in the creative stream, right? Keeps right. me doing something. So over the years, those expanded out into 10 and then as I was writing the book, those, uh, it, it, it became clear to me like, oh my gosh, this is a path. Yeah. This, is, this is the creative sandbox way. And of course, duh, these aren't rules. These are guideposts. <laughs> <laughs> but it took, it took writing the book to, to, for that to become clear to me. This is how it works. You know, this is yeah. how creativity works. And before it, beca- before it became a book, I actually... Uh, had a, an online course. So first it was the, the few handful of rules that I developed for myself. And then I turned them into a little five day e-course that was on another website um, as a promotional tool for that website. It was a little mm-hmm. freebie e-course that I had several years ago, moved it onto my own website, had it as a little freebie opt-in goodie for a while, then sold it on my website. And then, uh, you know, some time passed and, and then expanded it and turned it into the book. Very cool. And, and so this is a coloring book, right? Well, it's, it's, it has, yes, and it's so much more than a coloring book. Yes. So it's <laughs> like calling it a coloring book. Um, it it kind of, it's inaccurate to call it a coloring book. And yet, it's not inaccurate to call it a coloring book, <laughs> because there are lots of, there is, Almost every page can be colored, yes. but it's a book. Mm-hmm. It's text. It's lots of text. Um, you, it's a book to read, and it there are creative invitations after every chapter to uh, write in. There are invitations to make your own crappy doodles, <laughs> in, and I intentionally invite people to make them crappy to <laughs> so that, to lower your expectations so you don't get trapped in that perfectionist paralysis. 
And yes, almost every page has a black and white drawing that invites coloring. Is there a piece of advice that you've received that that you feel really benefited you in embracing your creativity again? Mm. Oh my gosh, there's (laughs) (laughs) so, so much. Um, You know, this is the what I the piece of advice is actually a piece of business advice that I received, but but it also applies to creativity. Okay. And this is something that I I was interviewing a a comic artist, comic book artist, comic strip artist Mm -hmm. named Carlos Castellanos. And he said something that that has always stuck with me. And that is that the thing that comes easiest and most naturally to you is your highest value offering. And this is a piece of business advice because the thing that comes easiest and most naturally to you is usually the thing that you take most for granted. Mm-hmm. So it's usually the thing that you're like, oh, this is, you know, it's easy for me, so it must be easy for everybody, so I can't possibly charge for this, or it's easy and fun for me, so how could I possibly charge any money for this, or I can't possibly charge a lot of money for this, or whatever. It can't possibly be valuable because it's so easy and fun for me. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the opposite. It's easy and fun for you, but it's not easy or easy and fun for everybody. And and also, you know, if it's easy and fun for you, it's like that's the universe's way of telling you, Psst, keep keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Come 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 on, come this way. Keep doing this. We you know, it's easy for us to think Oh, I need, I should work on my weaknesses. I should work on my weaknesses. And you know, that's that's all very well and good. I'm not saying not to do that, but there's something so so powerful about following our strengths and really leveraging our strengths. And when something is easy and natural for us, it's such a gift for us to really, you know, roll around and get cozy with that. And it's a gift to everybody else when we revel in it yeah, and give that to the world. I agree. And, you know, I think um, a lot of the dissatisfaction in the workplace is down to the fact that they're not playing to their strengths. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Can you share one of your personal habits that contributes to your creative success? Mm, yeah. I will share a habit that is something that I am working on (laughs) (laughs) that when I am um, more consistent at it, it it works better for me. Uh And that is everything to do with mindfulness. So meditation is a great practice for mindfulness. And when I'm consistent with meditation, uh, it, it helps everything. And meditation does not have to be, you know, mindful, mindfulness practice, attentional, attentional practice does not have to be sit in meditation. But any kind of focus, practicing on focusing is helps anything having to do with creativity. Because, you know, when we want to be exercising our creativity, we, we want to be in deep focus, right? And it's really hard to be in deep focus if we're being sucked off into Facebook and 
you know, an email and, you know, whatever little distractions are popping up. That's so true. (laughs) (laughs) So anything that we can do to really flex and strengthen that mindfulness muscle is definitely going to contribute to our creative success. And it I've experienced that myself personally. Yeah. And is there a person who inspires you to be creative? This can be a living person or not? Well, you know, my husband, my, my husband is not only my inspiration, he's my champion. He, we, I, I feel very, very fortunate that we inspire and champion each other. My husband has, thankfully, he has a, uh, a regular, uh, he's employed (laughs) (laughs) with benefits, which is really nice because I'm not employed with benefits. So (laughs) that helps out our financial situation a lot. Um, And he's, uh, his avocation is he's a writer. So he spends his weekends writing screenplays and he's written at least 10 full-length screenplays already. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm always encouraging him to do his writing. And he's always encouraging me to do my creative things. And when he goes off and writes, he's always, you know, that inspires me to do my creative thing. So it's a a symbiotic relationship. Sounds beautiful. So do you have a favorite work of art? It can be any type of art. Ooh, I hate having to choose favorites. (laughs) (laughs) What's the favorite of the day? Favorite of the week? (laughs) Well, so here's what I'll share with you. I have an author I absolutely love. And just this, a week ago, I was at a wonderful event called Life is a Verb Camp. And I met somebody for the first time ever who also really loves this author and very few people that I know have ever read this author. And I shared his work with my husband. He was like, yeah, he was okay. But nobody, <laughs> nobody else has ever been as enthusiastic about this author as this woman that I met at this conference. And it was super excited, exciting to, to meet another fangirl. His name is Jasper Ford. And do you have a favorite quote that inspires you? Again, I hate favorites, but I do especially love this quote that is attributed to Martha Graham, but it was, it's actually remembered by Agnes, Agnes DeMille as, uh, it's a Martha Graham quote as remembered by Agnes DeMille. And do you want me to read it? Yeah, sure. He goes, there is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable it is, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe it yourself, believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. Lovely. Thank you. Ah, You're welcome. And so is there anything else that you would like to share with my listeners before we wrap up? Oh, gosh, just keep creating, keep creating, keep creating. And you know, keep whenever you get down just remind yourself 
to go back to that creative sandbox mindset of being a four-year-old and remember that there is no wrong and you are entitled, that there is nobody more entitled than you to your creativity. And where can people find you online and where can they find your book? You can always find me at melissadinwitty.com. And because that is hard to spell, you can find you can also get there by going to livingacreativelife.com and that redirects to the same place. And you can find my book at creativesandboxway.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. It's been a real treat. Thank you for tuning into the show today. Next week, I'll be talking about the importance of story for your business. Until then, own your creativity in life and in business. 